Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Why It Matters. I'm Tracy Funk-Kronzak, co-founder of Why It Matters, and we are still recording here in lovely Puerto Rico. This is our third day of recording with friends and folks down here. Uh, we're all super tired. It is super sunny, warm, and humid, and we are consuming a bundle of the available frozen beverages that are being sold to us at unbelievably exorbitant prices by the hotel, but yet we all seem to need. So, uh, welcome everyone. Welcome, Tim. Hey, yeah, it's been amazing. I. I have to say, I love Puerto Rico. This is my third time to Puerto Rico and it will not be my last because it is just amazing here. So, it's a beautiful yeah, it's island. Really, really fun. It's so nice. It is beautiful. This is the first time I've been to Puerto Rico. Oh, that's right. It did not disappoint. Yeah. It's oh, really, really beautiful, it's beautiful and lovely. We'll be back. For we sure. are joined here today by Amy Cubbage. We are really excited. Uh, this is Amy's first time to Puerto Rico. Uh, and, um, Dear was, friend, mentor, yeah, absolutely. colleague, co-worker, yeah. like all sorts of great stuff. Um, Amy, somebody that you, like I heard about before I met Amy. Mm -hmm. And so reputation proceeded. And then um, over the last, I don't know, year or something, have gotten to know um, Amy a lot more. It's just been a uh, complete delight and, and yeah. really fun. Yeah. So I was um, scared of you when I first met you. Really? I am yeah. the least. I, I really. Scared. This it's so out of alignment with my view of myself. I feel like the I, least scary person on the planet. I was like super planet. intimidated. I'm like, oh, she's got everything together. She's got the perfect haircut. Like everybody's paying attention <laughs> to her. That must have been the yeah. uh, asymmetrical it was, bob. It was the asymmetrical phase. blonde bob. Phase. Yeah. Yeah, with like the perfect sunglasses and like the designer purse and everything. And I was like, I am so scared of Amy, but she seems really cool. But I'm scared. So. That's amazing. And somehow, like, we became friends and I got over that. So, there yeah. you go. Uh, yeah. So, uh, to, that, to that end, I think it'd yeah. be great for you to uh, kind of talk about what you've done in the ecosystem and your, your, um, your work history. Yeah, I will. Um, I'll try to give sort of the Reader's Digest version of the early stage of career, but I, I am actually proud to admit I'm just starting my 25th professional career year, which seems mind boggling. Oh. Um, but wow, it's been a journey. And it's been a really, really um, interesting journey that's allowed me to work with incredible people and incredible organizations um, and in different sectors um, that exist in our world. I've spent um, almost 15 years in the federal sector, um, right around the time of 9-11 and was part of helping um, support organizations that were standing up and trying to figure out how to deal with the new world. So a lot of management consulting stuff. Worked with um, two really incredible consultancies at that stage of my career and was really lucky to have mentors that were servant leaders that modeled those behaviors and saw potential in me that I didn't necessarily see or recognize in myself. And so I've tried to, as I've developed myself into the other places. That's where I, I've spent a lot of my time. Um, I made the decision after helping build two organizations in the federal sector um, and about the time that I had my um, third child that I really needed a break from the federal space. I felt like I had 
grown as much as I could. All the paths that were in front of me were potentially great, but not really interesting. Mm. And so I had the privilege of being introduced to Doug and Kristen Sharp, which folks in this ecosystem will absolutely oh recognize gosh. those names. Names in a long time. Wow. Yeah. I think they're in a sailboat around here. Right? Uh, I'm, I'm, I actually think I might be on their sailboat at some point this oh, summer because I live just north of Annapolis. Yeah, so yeah. it's I, I yeah. have actually seen their boat, which is beautiful. Shout out to, to Doug and Kristen. Two, two amazing humans. Absolutely um, amazing humans. I, I adored both of them when they had uh, their consulting firm, ACF. And then... You know, I had a conversation with somebody and they looked at me and they were like, they are literally riding a sailboat into the sunset. Yeah, yeah. totally yeah. literally. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> like, who Absolutely. gets to do that? Absolutely. So, yeah. okay. great people. Great people. Um, and, and I was looking for something that could take everything I'd learned in the federal sector, but also really challenge me to learn something new. And so what the Salesforce ecosystem provided was both an opportunity to learn a new technology platform. It also provided the opportunity to learn a new um, market sector in nonprofit and education at the time. And so those things were really interesting to me because I really like, I'm, I'm when I have the time and space, I'm really curious and I like learning new things. And so that was really interesting. So I could bring this skill that I had in helping grow um, young, adaptable, innovative organizations into sort of that growing past that 50 plus employees point and helping them figure that out. So I think Kristen and I, it's possible our first lunch lasted for two hours because um, we just kept finding things to talk about. So I was with ACF as the VP of operations for three years. We then went through the acquisition with Attain and had the privilege of working with Greg Baroni and the incredible team over there and stayed with them for three years and got to that place again where it's like I'm, I'm ready to do something that's very focused and mission driven and had um, the privilege of working with Ram Hoffman at Exponent as, he's, as his CEO for the last few years. Um, the, the rest of the story there is that we started, I started the week of lockdown. And so it's been a really, really interesting journey. But um, oh, you started at Exponent. I started at Exponent the week of in lockdown. In like yeah. spring of 2020? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it was, it was both one of the most sort of daunting things that I've taken on, but it was also, I think it so accelerated the trust building process because when you enter an organization in the midst of crisis, you don't have as much space or time to sort of linger. You have to actually think about how do we, how do we support the team and the people through this? And I, I, I could not have asked to be at a better organization through that period of time. There's, um, there's a lot about you that I find super intriguing and am impressed by. But the thing I think that I'm most impressed with you is that uh, you have not lost your soul in the process of scaling large organizations. In, and it's because you care about the people in those organizations. It has been so interesting to get to know you that you do lead large scale organizational transformations, but the way you do it is by really caring for the people in those organizations yeah. very, very deeply and personally. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's rare. 
Do you have a sense of whether it's rare or not? Um, I don't know if I have a sense of whether it's rare. I sort of, honestly, I don't know how to engage differently. It's how I'm wired. Um, the way you work with people and build trust it is through understanding what's meaningful and important and impactful for them and what's their story and what have they been through and why are they where they are in their journey. And that allows you to support them for whatever part of their journey they're working with you through. It allows you to support them on that path in hopefully what I aspire to is a way that helps them continue to grow and have the things that are meaningful and important to them be part of their their career progression. I know how to define it now, and I know I'm taking a lot of your time, Tracy. So I'm you, but... hanging out. Man. All right, cool. great. So um, the thing, the thing here is that the other way to do the work that you've done, um, which involves by necessity doing that work, will involve an incredible amount of offboarding and onboarding of teams. Right, like that is what happens. For There's sure, a lot of transitions, and um, and those. And what I feel like I've seen from others that are leading those is that they have to shut down the part of themselves that cares about people in order mm. to handle the widespread chaos they're creating in other people's lives as these transitions happen. And that's very understandable to me. Like, I don't think these are heartless people. They're put in heartless positions where they have to actually like, how do I deal with the fact that I'm, you know, disrupting this many lives and, and you it's know, hard. whatnot. Yeah. What's I think unique about you is that you've gone a completely different route, which is to care more, not less. Yeah. And you've leaned into like, hey, these are people I want to do my best with them, even if they're only here for a little bit. And even if I am creating disruption in their lives, I want to do that in an empathetic and compassionate way. Yeah. And I, I do think that's rare. I don't think that is the general approach. Um, I could be wrong. I I have aspired to that. There have absolutely been times, I would say, I think earlier in my career where I failed at that. I learned from those things. The outcome is always better if you take a human, compassion-driven, empathetic approach and understand whatever the change is, what's the impact on the organization, but also what's the impact on the individual and how do you show up in leadership to support them in the best possible way through whatever that transition is. Um, for myself, I've now had, and again, I say the privilege because a lot of organizations, once you've made a decision, hey, I'm ready for something that's next, they're like, sorry, you're cut off, you're done. I've had the privilege of working with leaders who I was able to really partner with and do managed transitions on the way that I um, exited to try to leave the organization in a place where I could feel not just good, but that I met my commitment as a leader in that organization to hopefully leave things better than I found them and not have folks be in a place where they're struggling and having a harder time. Can't, it's never easy. Transitions are hard. Change is hard. But we have a choice in the way that we decide to show up. We have a choice in the way that we decide to engage with people. And um, it sounds a little bit selfish, but the, the most important part of that process for me is always, 
am I able on my last day to, to say with sincerity, I've done everything I can. Conversely, when someone's exiting an organization, if I'm in a leadership position and I'm helping them through that transition, there are different circumstances. There are some times where it's the employee's choice. They've made a decision. I think the first thing when an employee conveys a decision to you is to understand what's driving that and make sure that you're being respectful of the process that they've gone through to arrive at that decision and understand how do we best support whatever that next step for that individual is. Sometimes that is retention. Sometimes it is a, hey, we have another opportunity that could actually align with what your goals and objectives are. Let's talk about that. Let's be curious. Sometimes it's, that sounds like a really great opportunity. How can we make this transition as smooth as possible for you and for the team? But it takes intention and work, right? It takes being able to have those vulnerable conversations and understand what's driving this, especially right now. Oh my gosh, when you think about just the great resignation and all of these things, the burden that's been put on individuals in work environments in on top of what they're working through and dealing with in home environments, um, mental health crises, any, any number of things, you have to have a human side to the way that you're thinking about change for folks. Um, I think that piece of it is incumbent upon leaders. You have to do the diligence around making sure you make the right business decision and not saying you don't do all of the things that you need to do in those leadership roles from a from business perspective. But there's a way to do that that is um, compassionate and humble and open-hearted. I think what's interesting, Amy, I, I was sort of replaying a couple of moments from my own career as you were talking, and I promise you I will get somewhere with this. <laughs> so... I remember when I left one of my very first consulting jobs and the owner of the company, who's remained a friend, uh, now owns a huge company that works both in the Salesforce and Microsoft ecosystems, you know, said to me, I wish you'd talked to me first. I understand what you're doing and I understand why you're doing it. And I realized that we never gave you sort of clarity on what your path forward was here. And I was like, yeah, that, that, that kind of felt like that way to me. Um, what I like about the company that, you know, this particular person leads is they have since that era, which was many, many years ago now, and dinosaurs ruled the earth and all of us had to fend, you know, pterodactyls away from our lunch outside. Um, you know, they've gone on to be a leader in their own right around yeah. organizational culture and organizational inclusion in a way that is super impressive. Um, but that path forward to folks, particularly folks that are in non-leadership roles inside of businesses, isn't always clear. And huh. when you leverage any massive change on top of that pandemic, or, or life change, even just personal life change or, or work changes, mergers and acquisitions, those waters get so muddy that I think the natural result is to panic. Yeah. And to say, doubt. I don't have space here anymore, you know? And it takes both that reassurance, in my view, but it also takes that intentionality to help navigate those waters well. Um, 
we were talking with Michelle Paul on another recording at this same event and also the topic of corporate cult of personalityism came up mm. and you know I feel like for a long time the way to lead in tech was to be that highly charismatic somewhat you know crazy Doc Emmett Brown or or like Doctor Who leader who's like super inspirational but doesn't get into the details but sort of cultivates a following of people who believe in them. And the fallacy of that model is that we're all fallible, right? To a person, yeah. To a person, we're all fallible, we're not gods. So for years we've had an industry built on the premise that leaders are gods and the rest of us are mere mortals. And if we just do what leaders say, we'll be fine. And I think you're pointing out correctly that for the past two and a half, three years, that that emperor has never had any clothes, but now it's even that much more apparent mm. to all of us. Yeah. The way that I think about that from a, a leadership responsibility lens is the last two years has actually required me to do more unlearning mm. than learning. Like unlearning how I want to dig into that so, because I've had to do my own unlearning. Yeah, that all is, had to yeah. Do our own that is the that is the, the the money so shot. Hard. Right there. It's it is just so, so hard. True, and I haven't framed it that way. But so yeah, so on. the way I think about it, which is human and flawed and fallible. Yeah. Asterisk. Um, disclaimer is what they call that. I think. Um, I grew up in federal management consulting. Hmm. There was a textbook around how you learn, how you grow, how you lead, what is professionalism, what does this title mean in this context? How do you think about in the federal sector chain of command, right? There are rules of engagement around chain of command. Um, there is, and this is not a fully formed thought, but there is a sea change happening right now in what people expect of their leaders. And it isn't, I'm going to defer and assume you are right, assume you know what you're talking about because you have a title. Yeah. I actually need you to demonstrate to me that you care and you're invested and you hear me when I present a problem and I feel, it, it does sound trite, but it really is true, seen and valued and heard as part of your organization. That, there was some of that, because I worked with great, actually really great innovative cultures that were in the early stage of growth. And so there was a lot of that energy and momentum and all of those kinds of things. But there was still that, at the end of the day, decision maker chain of command kind of construct. And, and organizations need some of that to be healthy. There has yeah, to be. It can't be perfectly flat. Okay. So it's, it's all still forming. I'm still unlearning so much and figuring out as a leader. I've always aspired to be a servant leader. I feel I'm in whatever role I am to provide support to the folks within a team to accomplish whatever goal we've set out. I've had 
the really, really huge privilege of working in organizations that were supporting um, missions and organizations that are impacting the world and challenging um, systems that have been broken for a very, very long time. It's really meaningful work. Um, at the end of the day, my superpowers, being able to support the people that actually know how to do the work that allows that impact to happen. Yeah. And that's, that's what I have to show up in service of. So there's the individual, there's the what are we working towards as a team, as an organization. And there's been a lot of opportunity for I don't want to say failing because it's not failing, but things have really shifted and changed in the way that our clients are trying to, to tackle the missions they're trying to support. And if you just sort of go about business as usual and don't acknowledge the human components of what's happening in the work that we do, um, we're, we're going to miss the 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 opportunity to be the leaders we can be at this point in history. And the insulation has come off the wires in a lot of ways, right? So a little bit. like mm. there is, and I think it's actually great in a lot of ways, there is less patience for shitty leadership. And by that, I mean leaders that care about their companies over people and care about profit over people. Um, and there is, there is like a, huh, that's not where I want to be. I don't want to be in a company that's like that. And so thank you very much. I'm finding a new one. And I know that I can. And I don't care about the resume gap. Like, I, and everybody's got a massive <laughs> resume gap right now. So who cares? And that is, that is forcing, maybe for the first time, is forcing leaders who are gifted and smart but have actually something, and I hit, I don't know what word to use here, but like bad character or have not done enough internal soul work on what makes them tick. And so their response to that are, are knee-jerk traditional responses that are completely out of alignment with the moment and making it worse. And that's where the unlearning is important because you build this tool. I think of it as like what's in my toolkit mm -hmm. and over years of, if you move up through management and leadership, you have tools in your toolkit that you start to look, to use. So when something happens, this is this is how you respond. And those the tools that served us ten years ago are not serving us well now in leadership positions. And so it, that unlearning piece, I think, is it's just it's an important part of what every every leader should be thinking about right now. What do I need to unlearn? Not what do I need yeah. to do more of. Because there's some of that too, but so there, I was on the phone talking with someone who ended up leaving the organization that they were with. They worked for a nonprofit, and they were telling me about how hard they were trying to get their leaders to just understand, like the dot matrix printers and like the really ugly walls of the office. Where it wasn't just hard for that individual. What they were trying to say is you're gonna lose all of the staff like me if you don't address this. Yeah. And they fired her instead. And it is like, so that, right, that is sending messages to the rest of staff about what this looks like. And, uh, and, and that's what I mean. Like, I think that there's a, an internal amount of work that I know I've had to do on myself 
to just like handle the amount of transition and chaos before the pandemic. Um, and I feel like the pandemic pushed all of us to places where we had to draw on whatever work we had done internally on ourselves in a way that I just don't think, uh, I don't think we, I don't think leaders had been prepared for because leadership for whatever reason didn't require it before. And that's kind of, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Like I feel yeah. like it's always been there. I just think there was more insulation before, you know? Yeah. It's, um, there are also, what I don't want to say is there's not one leadership style, right? I mean, there are different kinds of leadership that are necessary at different times within organizations and understanding, are you the right leader in the right place in an organization at the right time for where they're going is also a, a big part of it. Cause I, I have made in prior, prior organizations, there was a point at which I wasn't the right leader for the organization at the time where, for where they wanted to go. And so that introspection is also, can I consistently be the leader that I need to be to maintain my center of integrity in that kind of a setting, whatever that might be. Um, and I think there's still a lot of that. Some of it's, again, disclaimer, total generalization. Some of it's generational, like, you stay, you get into an organization, you stay in that company, it's about loyalty, you stay there a really, really long time, mm -hmm. you move up the ladder, that's what you do, and anything short of that is is actually betrayal. And so I've definitely been in organizations in other sectors where you have folks that have been in the same roles for years and years and years and years, and they aren't leading in a way that they feel great about it, but they're, but they don't see an alternative. And it, it takes that like a little bit of jumping sometimes without a parachute to say, I could stay and continue to sort of like do these things, but is that really that where I'm going to have the biggest impact if I'm going to be in a leadership role? And that's the unlearning. It's the introspection, not trying to cause like a, you know, leadership, crisis identity. But I think if you're a leader right now and you aren't sort of self-examining after what the last few years has demanded of folks in leadership positions. But I think that demand has always been there <clears throat> to, to both your point yeah. and to Tim's point. And, you know, two examples from my world that I think kind of encapsulated in my own way. One was obviously I just started a new job and Literally, one of the vice presidents whose team I work with or will be working with a lot, you know, they always sort of get somebody from an executive to present at, you know, corporate orientation or new employee orientation or yeah. stuff. You know, he basically said, look, y'all, I know there's a lot of people here who may be coming from contexts where you hear every single day in your job don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. And he said, to everyone who's worked for those assholes, let me tell you, please come with problems. I need to know what the problems are. And if you're, and if you're coming with problems, it means we, as a team, need to think yeah. about what the solutions are because we're better when we know what we're trying to solve for and not imagining it. 
you know, and I was like, okay, so I feel like I landed in the right spot. And, and that's the kind of leadership that I feel like is going to carry us as workers or, or managers or, or corporate leaders into this next era. Yeah. Now the demand for that kind of leader has always been there. When I worked for big corporate entities before where for whatever reason, reorganization along the lines of ego and power was the corporate sport and it would happen on a regular basis, like every six to nine months. You know, I finally got put under somebody along with a team of incredibly talented people. And that person was such a shitty manager and so terrible at their job because they absolutely refused to hear what any of us were saying that all of us on that team quit within three months of each other. Like literally it was like one, two, three, and we're gone. He literally had no team. And to this day, like that, that person's name came up recently. And I was like, well, I got no horse in this game. I was like, dumb as a bag of rocks and ignorant as a jackass. And that's my opinion of them. And that's what I'm walking away with as an employee because their leadership was so poor and so ignorant and so non-self-discovering that it caused three talented people that I worked with and cared about to leave entirely. And I think you don't see those undertones of attrition, you know, particularly when you're blind yourself. I have been incredibly fortunate, privileged, whatever you want to call it, to work with incredible leaders. I really, really have. For most of my career, I can think of one really early, early career where I, it was really, really not. But I've worked with people, with leaders who have seen and developed the compassionate leadership style that I had, they saw it as valuable and they saw the results that came from it. And again, this does not mean that I've been without failure or challenges or places where I misstepped and I messed up and I had to own that and figure it out and do the self-examination and the self-work on that. But I had mentors that recognized something in the way that I engaged that helped me move through that career progression. So I also view part of it is part of our responsibility as leaders is to pay it forward, which sounds trite, but to pay it forward, to model the behaviors that we expect of our organizations, right? We want, if you want a compassionate, caring, thriving organization, bring that, that lens to the way that you approach leadership. And it makes it, it makes all the difference. Um, Cause you're exactly right. If you have someone where you're like, I, like, I just can't because I don't know how to work with that person. I don't know how to do these things. I don't know how to, you're going to lose people in that, in that process. Um, yeah. The amount of knowledge that would have been super beneficial to the organization I worked for that departed on that team, there was maybe between all three or four of us that were on that team. 60 years of knowledge and understanding of the worlds that we were trying to solve for that was just gone, you know? And, and 
I think the other thing I will say is there is a strike of leader, in my opinion, who hears all of this and says that's nothing but bullshit. You know, and sure. I'm thinking of like the Elon Musk temple. Yeah. Right? Now, something about Elon that was interesting was in the Bay Area when COVID was surging, he was like, everybody needs to go back and work at the Tesla plant. And then we're all wondering why are all the Tesla employees dropping like flies of COVID, right? You know, he just did the same thing again. He's like, everybody comes into work or you're fired. And I'll assume that if you're not here, you quit. You know, and the article that presented this in the paper this morning actually was like, you better believe everybody at Twitter is scared as hell of this. Because Twitter oh, just said, we're getting rid of our office and we want to support you as remote employees. Yeah. So there's a strike of leader who sees compassion, who sees empathy, who sees accommodation yeah. as weakness. And I don't think that's ever going to change. So throughout my career, I hesitate because it's I'm, I'm going to probably be a little more vulnerable than the feedback that I got most consistently, um, particularly in the federal space, but not exclusive to the federal space, was that I was too nice. Mm. Um, and there are times probably when I absolutely have been too nice for the situation. But that compassion, that showing up with active listening and thinking about how, how to get to a shared win as opposed to just how do I win, is so much more powerful. It's not weakness. It's power. It's power in a different way than people are used to working with. But if you have folks around you that know that you are actually genuinely invested in them and their growth, when you hit those bumps in the road and those really, really hard times, they are going to be there working with you through those things. We, you know, I think that it's, I do think it's seen as weakness and I think you're right. I think there are a lot of people who will continue to say, no, that's, you know. There, and I'll just say it, men are raised to avoid being nice because it is considered weakness. So this is something that I had to address in myself frequently is the view of leadership as a man that if you are compassionate and empathetic, that is less effective and wimpy. And um, <laughs> wimpy. yeah, no, it is. It's a stupid, it's the word is as stupid as the idea, yeah, right? And I, and I want to say it that way because yeah. what I found over and over again is exactly what you said, which is that you end up relying on force. You do. Right? And so, yes, like if your goal is to force people to do what you say, then nice being nice and empathetic is actually probably not that effective. But if what you are trying to do is to inspire and get the best out of people so that they bring who they are, which is what they want to do, and you bring them into that space, actually is way more powerful. And it's not a mystery. Um, but I, I do want to say part of the internal work I had to do as a leader you know, especially from Montana, where you can imagine, like, you know, this is 
this is the way it's done and, and, and all of that. I had to, I had to re-understand what power looked like. And, um, and actually that became a lot easier through a faith lens, which mm. is sort of ironic because a lot of the faith that I participate in has got that so backwards somehow. And, and yeah, I think that that is, I think that is really critical. And then part of, I think why that's so important is that in that contract where you are like, you know, the main person and, and all of that, what you have to do is be the person all the time. And what I found is that, and I think this is really interesting as C, like you played the number two position multiple times. Yeah. That is actually the power position. If yeah. the first That's position isn't force, mm. then the power position is the second position. And the first position as CEO is to clear the way and create create a culture in which that is not just allowed, but encouraged. Um, And you have to, what I found is you have to put yourself away a lot. And I failed at that multiple, multiple times um, and brought force and screwed it all up and then would have to come back to the table and be like that. Uh, I totally fucked that one up. Okay, Mm -hmm. what are we going to do now? And and really expose that vulnerability and just be like, ah, I was wrong. I just screwed it up. Um, and I think that leaders are not taught how to do that either, especially men. I mean, metaphorically speaking, Tim, the queen is the most powerful figure on the chessboard, not the king. That's amazing. And it's an interesting that all of these conversations around these topics are also being led by women okay. in, in the tech industry. Yeah. That, and I feel like Montana culture is a lot like the Mandalorian, where you just do things because this is the way. It sort of you is. Know? It sort of is. So we only have uh, a few Couple minutes left. Yeah. Amy, what um, what advice would you like to impart on other COOs that are experiencing kind of this moment? I mean, I think it's it's stay humble, stay curious, figure out what you need to unlearn. Um, and as I am starting sort of a a, a reset in my own life, it's figure out also how to care for yourself. This work is hard. It's exhausting. Um, And we can only do our best if we, and and I'm not talking about like the go get a massage self care, although that's in any, you know, everybody loves a good massage, but um, getting really, really clear. How do you resource yourself? What is your support system when you're navigating the responsibilities of being in a leadership role? I have an incredible coach who has, I've worked with for three years. She's amazing. Um, she's challenged me in ways I would have never challenged myself otherwise. Um, I have friends that are my go-to when I'm having that moment that I text and I'm like, I just need to get this crazy thought out of my head. Know how you resource yourself so that you can be the leader in those spaces and in those organizations that you need to be. Um, yeah, take care of yourself. Because if you take care of yourself, you can actually take care of others. Yeah, that's good. Thank you for your time. Thank, Thank you so much. This is Tracy Kronzak. And I'm Tim Lockie. And you've been listening to Why It Matters, an independent production that captures our passions, personalities, and purpose for technology as applied to the impact economy. 
All of that's important, but even more important, we are here to have fun and introduce some of the people and ideas that keep us up at night and get us out of bed in the morning. We are so grateful that you've been listening to us. We have no idea why you'd want to do that. Maybe you lost a bet. Maybe you're stuck in a car with someone else controlling the sound system. Or maybe you are truly interested in what we have to say. Whatever the reason, whether it's a bet or you're a believer, would you hit subscribe? Or if you've already done that, would you mind leaving us a review? And if you're really brave or want to punish someone, please recommend this podcast to your friends, enemies, and family. And all kidding aside, thanks for tuning in, and we are so glad that you're here.